Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin at verse 3 today. Let's read our text. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of grace, which he freely bestowed upon us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you that you're going to speak to us, teach us, that you're going to assure us what we have in you and how much you love us. So speak as your servants are listening today and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. In the original Greek, verses 3 through 14 make up one long running sentence. That encompasses the past, the present, and the future of God's eternal purpose for the church. This passage can be divided in three distinct sections, each focusing on a different person of the Trinity. In verses 3 through 6, the blessings of the Father, our election in the past. Then in verses 6b through 12, the blessings of the Son, our redemption, which focuses on the present. And then in verses 13 through 14, the blessings of the Holy Spirit, our inheritance in the future. We'll begin with me in verse 3. We see first the aspects of the blessing. Let's look at that verse again. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Paul here presents six aspects of the divine blessings. One, the blessed one, God himself. In fact, the blessed one is also the blesser, God himself. But the blessed ones also in verse 1 are the saints who are believers. And notice again in verse 3, the, the blessings, they're spiritual blessings. And notice the location, the place, the, the blessing location, really it's in verse 3 too, the heavenly places. And notice they're in Christ. And the blessing agent or the blesser, that's Jesus Christ himself. Well, the Father blesses his children, and when he lavishes gifts upon them, you can find that certainly in Galatians, you can find it in Genesis 50.20, you can find it in Romans 8.28, you can find it in James chapter 1. In fact, let me read from Psalm 63.1, O God, you're my God. And I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
And look at Jeremiah. I love this passage. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for welfare, not calamity, to, but to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon my name and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me. Notice with all your heart. Well, election, we see that in verse 4. He chooses us just as he chose us in him. So he chose us to be in him. It was before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him and notice in love. These verses reveal the past part of God's eternal plan in forming the church. That is the body of Jesus Christ. That word, he chose or elect, Vines describes it as to pick out, to select. It's a middle voice, means to choose for oneself. God chose for himself. This is not necessarily implying rejection of those who weren't chosen, but the choosing, the choosing to extend kindness, the favor of his love. Look with me in Acts fifteen seven. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. See, they weren't the only ones that were chosen, but the Gentiles were chosen. And when we stop and think about it, we go all the way back to Job. Job was also a Gentile. He wasn't of the faith as far as Semitic faith of the the Hebrews. He wasn't a descendant that would be of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his kids. No, but he was a believer by faith. John 6, 70. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? In the context of divine election, God is said to choose his people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. God doesn't choose us because there's something special about us that we're all powerful, we're almighty, all wise. No, he chooses the foolish things. He chooses the weak things. He chooses to use us to shame the strong, the world and to reveal his love and mercy that he desires for every person who will call upon his name. Election is the eternal act of God with the respect of all who are saved. And it's out of pure grace, it's for the sake, Christ's sake, that he purposed to endow them in time with these spiritual blessings of conversion, justification, sanctification, preservation, and the saving, really, unto eternal life. Now, there's no less than three kinds of election in the Bible. Well, one is God's what he calls the theocratic election and the church as a body of believers. Look with me in Deuteronomy 7, 8. For you are to be a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you 
to be a people for his own possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of people. But because the Lord loved you and kept his oath which he swore to your forefathers, and the Lord has brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of kings. God demonstrated that love by bringing him out. God loved you. And you're here today because God loves you. He's chosen you and he set you apart. And God wants to use you to show his love to a world that he loves so much that he sent his own son to die for. God chose the Jews simply out of his sovereign love, though. Look with me in Romans 9, verses 6 through 7. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Romans 4.1. Context refers here again to Abraham. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's the righteousness might be credited to him. So those who believe, simply believe by faith, they are descendants of Abraham. Abraham by faith. Not of a nation of Israel. He chose this nation of Israel to be a ambassador represent, but he's made it clear. Not everyone of Israel was Israel. Not everyone who descended was from Israel. But he makes it clear. It's the spiritual children. The well, second thing I want to call your attention to here is the election of individuals chosen to perform some special service. Do you remember Cyrus? He was elected to build the temple. Isaiah forty four twenty eight says this. It is I who says of Iris, he is my shepherd. He will perform all my desire. He declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple and your foundation will be laid. God uses Gentiles. God calls Gentiles. Even now the Lord's called the tribe of Levi to be his priest. The Levites are not all guaranteed salvation. He's called them to be priests, but again, not all are guaranteed to salvation. Just as Jesus called 12 apostles, but only 11 come to be experienced his salvation. Paul came to Christ because God's election to salvation. God then chose him in another way to be his special apostle to the Gentiles, just as Peter was apostle to the Jews. You know, there's also elect angels 1 Timothy 5.21 says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all his chosen angels. In Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits set out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So these chosen angels, they're ministering spirits for us. God uses them in our life. Some have called them guardian angels. 
but they're chosen. Chosen with a purpose. So God calls out a nation at times. God calls people we're going to see individually. God calls angels, and he uses them. Well, when we start talking about this election and and dealing with salvation, that Paul's speaking in this context here, there's two camps of thought. And I believe they're extreme views because I believe they're both taught in the Bible. And not exhaustive, but only brief. Calvinism, God is seen as this like giant electromagnet with this irresistible grace. And if you're chosen, you have no right to walk away. You will not walk away because you're chosen. Arminianism, the extreme opposite of that, says God has nothing to do with our salvation. It's all man's free will. You know, in the Bible, again, this idea of chosen is taught, but also this idea of free will is taught. Why both is taught in the Bible, but not the extremes of the Calvinism and the Arminianist views. We are chosen before the foundation of the world, yet whosoever come, that free will, each of us have that free will. The question always boils down to this. Have you come to Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted your life, appropriated that salvation that he's given to you? His grace is available to you today if you have not. Notice again John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in that last day. So again, we, we see that election, that choice that and, and the Father draws. And you and I are those instruments that he uses to draw along with the Holy Spirit. Well, First John 2, 1 and 2 says this. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. For if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but notice for the whole world. Jesus Christ, again, died for every person. And when Jesus Christ is lifted up and exalted, whether it be through a message, through a song, through a life lived out, God uses that to draw people, to reveal himself to others. We are living stones. We are a testimony that there is a God. The Bible is clear that no person receives Jesus Christ as Savior who has not been chosen by God. Neither does God's sovereignly or sovereign election or predestination eliminate man's choice in faith. See, divine sovereignty and human response, they're integral. They're inseparable parts of salvation. <laughs> Only in the mind of God, the two can work out in perfect harmony. You and I are limited, and yet sometimes people argue and fight over it, and and they make that the main issue. The issue really boils down to, have you come to Jesus Christ? And when you come and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you realize that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He's given us the Great Commission, so we go out. And we tell them and we proclaim the gospel to the world, whether it's sending missionaries, 
providing funds for missionaries, or being the missionary. Look at Second Timothy 2.10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's interesting. Why did God elect us? Oh, not why did he choose it, but why? God has chosen us that we would be holy and blameless before him. So God determined before the world was ever created that he would have people who would be in him, that is in his son, Christ Jesus, who would be holy and without blame. See, that word holy means to set apart, to consecrate really to God. The same word is used for the saint in Ephesians 1.1. When you are born again, you are a saint set apart for God's glory. You are called to be a holy people. God will make you holy. God will make you blameless. And our part is to simply submit to him. Now, the word blameless is an adjective found nine places with a consistent sense without fault. That means you can have a a pure heart, but you can blow it. And God still sees you as your position, blameless. This is God's intention and purpose for his chosen people, that we would be without fault. We would be flawless. We would be, again, without blemish. And he will finish that work in you and me. Ephesians 5.27 says this, that he might present himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I long for that day when sin has no power over me anymore. That meaning I don't submit to it. Sin still dwells within me. Though Christ is in me, there's a battle going on with inside me. Now the end of verse four, notice this says before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus himself. Now that word love, its root is agapeo. Now in Greek writings, it's referred to showing kindness to strangers, giving hospitality, being charitable. In the New Testament, though, the word agape is took its meaning from. It is used in the New Testament writers as a willing love a sacrificial love, opposed to purely emotional love. So it's self-sacrificial. And this is the love that's naturally expressed by God, not based upon emotion. Oh, I love them. No, he set his love upon us. But this love is not easy for men and women. It's a word that speaks of compassion, regard, kindness, true love. Again, it's unselfish love that transcends our normal relationship. In short, it's love that we don't naturally have. It's divine love is what it is. Well, the modifier, according to that good pleasure of his will, not only fits with the immediate context for himself, but also harmonizes excellently with the words, having in love ordained us. When the father chose a people for himself, deciding to adopt them as his own children, he was motivated 
by love alone. Again, look at Mark 13. We saw this last week that he went up on the mountain, summoned those whom he self-wanted, and they came to him. See, he wanted them. Isn't that incredible? The God of all creation spoke all things in existence, wants you, he desires you, he desires the intimacy with you. He wants you to walk in that love. God doesn't want us to be separated from him because of sin or shame or sorrow or pain or death or hell. In fact, he's predetermined us that we would live in him and Christ. This is God's master plan. Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. You can find that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. We were set aside for salvation. It was then that our inheritance in the kingdom was already determined. Look with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your faith, your work of faith, your labor of love, the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Kai. I love verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Notice the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. That's how love is to work out in our lives. Look with me at Ephesians 1, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kindness the tension of his will. God elects those who were saved because of his love. And it's in his love that he predestined us to the adoption of his sons. And just as he chose Israel to be a special people only because of his love, he also chose the church, the family of the redeemed. Predestination means that a destination is planned beforehand. It means our destiny is safe, it's secure, it's in him, Christ Jesus. But outside his son Jesus, no one could be a son or a daughter of God. No one could be pleasing to the Father. Now the words predestined or called or justified or especially glorified in Romans eight twenty eight and 29, notice they're in past tense. It's a done deal. God sees the beginning from the end. He sees that he'll finish the work. That is because it's his eternal perspective that he sees. 
And he sees the process of having been completely and already completed. God's perspective, believers have already been glorified because he sees them in Jesus. Well, how does predestination work? Look again at Romans 8.28. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become formed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. If God only foresees future events, then what makes these events so certain? The event must be made certain before it can ever be known for certain, and only God can make these events certain. Look with me in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We will be like him, it says. That's the finished work. Now, predestination simply declares that God's people are going to make it and that one day they'll be conformed to the image of Christ. Predestination means that salvation is much bigger than we think. Your salvation is not something, some kind of minor incident. It's really a part of God's big eternal plan. And God is so gracious that from all eternity, he's planned that we will be conformed to the image of his son. Predestination means that God is much bigger than our trials, our troubles, the storms that we go through. Predestination means that no true Christian will ever be lost. True Christians are seen, living by faith and not by sight. True Christians obey God, fulfill his purpose for their lives. The results of God's predestination is the adoption as sons. And the Greek word for adoption comes from two words put together, meaning hulos, son, theos, a placing. Thus the word means a placement into sonship. See, adoption is the act of leaving one's natural family and entering into the privileges and responsibilities of another. God's our Father, who graciously adopts believers into Christ, into a spiritual family, then grants some privileges of heirship. Salvation is much more than just forgiveness or the deliverance from condemnation. It is a position of great blessing. His children, he imparts his spirit to. He makes his sons just like his divine son. We not only have all the son's riches and blessings, but all the son's nature. Look again at Ephesians verse 5, again, according to the kind intention of his will. Look at John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, there's that idea of choice, not only choice, but appointed. 
And there's the responsibility that we're to go and bear fruit. And this is where we find our peace and joy is being obedient to him. We find our purpose when we are walking in his will. Look at Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons. And we cry out, Abba, Father. So we, again, those have been born again, those who were chosen and appointed, we have his spirit in us, guiding us, leading us. His nature is being formed in us, giving us purpose and reason, and we are nowhere part of it. And because we love God so much, we call out to him, Abba, Father, but we also want to please him. But look in our text again. That idea is brought out that, that the, the goal of all of this is, is really the glory, the glory of God. God's called believers out of the world away from the old life it offered, the old life of sin and death. He's called believers to be separated and set apart unto himself and that we would have a new life that he offers, a life of righteousness in eternity. The ultimate reason for everything that exists for the glory of his grace. The purpose of God's servant is really to stir up other believers to note the believers are called, those are chosen of God. They are persons whom God has chosen to be holy and beloved people. I love it in the Gospel of John. John declares, again, the Apostle John, the Apostle whom Jesus loved. And he's seen putting his head on the bosom of of Christ. Do you know the love of God? Do you know how much he loved you? That he died for you? And they're kept by his love, kept by his power. And one day, you'll be conformed to his image. These are the blessings of the Father today. Father, thank you for calling us, choosing us, setting us apart, sending your Son to die for us. Thank you that you have blessed us with the knowledge of who you are and what you're going to do in our lives. Help us to draw richly from that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.